Welcome to Health Setterer's podcast. Elise Greeby and Charlie Brenner are two of the founding members of the Society for Nan Lao Shu, located in New York City. Nan Lao Shu, which translates literally to hard to grow old, is a practice comprised of the ancient arts of Yi Jin Jing, Nei Gong Taiji Quan, and meditation. Elise Greeby and Charlie Brenner have been practicing meditation, Tai Chi, and Qi Gong for over 40 years and have been teaching it to others for 30 years. On this podcast, registered nurse and health setterer correspondent Eve Adler hosts Elise Greeby and Charlie Brenner as they share information about the inception of their practice, the health challenges they have seen among practitioners, and how the pandemic has impacted older adults. This podcast first aired on Healthsetera in the Catskills on WIOX Radio on May 11, 2022. My name is Eve Adler. I'm a registered nurse, integrative health educator, and Healthsetera correspondent. Today, I'll be speaking about healthy aging with Elise Greeby and Charlie Brenner two of the founding members and teachers at the Society for Nan Lao Shu, located in New York City. They have been practicing meditation, Tai Chi, and Qigong for over 40 years and teaching for 30 years. Elise and Charlie began their studies in 1981. Besides sharing the practice of Nan Lao Shu, they have three children and two grandchildren. So welcome to Health Cetera, Lisa and Charlie. Well, thank you. Thank you, Eve. Okay. I think one of the things that our listeners would be interested in is how did the Society of Non-Laoshu come to be and what does it even mean? Well, that's a good place to start. The word Non-Laoshu is a Chinese word that was given to us by our teacher. Non means difficult. Lao is to age, and Shu is like an art or a skill. So it's the art of difficult to grow old. He said he encountered these words in a very, in a over 2000 year old Chinese text and recognized that they were significant and that the idea of our society is to promote longevity, to promote the things that allow you to live long and to live well. And, and both of you have been practicing for over 40 years. So obviously you were very young when you started. <laughs> so what, what brought you to even think about this practice? Well, I think Charlie, you could- Maybe I'll start, start because yeah. when I was in college, I, discovered that I was in a lot of pain that, that when I went to doctors they said I have some strange form of arthritis and that my bones had deformed and that I, they were just pressing on nerves and I was doing a lot of reading in college and holding books for long hours at a time was really really aggravating so I started searching for solutions and the first one was to go to a doctor and was basically told that you know there are problems in your spine and we don't do surgery on spines so you got to learn to live with it learn how to relax 
So I went off and did a series of different um, programs, ideas to try and find myself. And after two, three years of searching, came upon Tai Chi. And it definitely touched me and it relieved my arthritis in ways that were significant. And then I got introduced to the man who had created this practice, Master Ku, and he was a very charismatic man and seemed like, why wouldn't you want to study with this guy? He's so distinguished and powerful, confident. So I continued. Um, then Elise, how did you get involved? <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, we were in a relationship, a, a budding relationship, and Charlie was very serious about the Tai Chi and, and you know, made it clear that, his, that if I wanted to continue with him, that, that I had to get serious, you know, that I had to at least try this, this what was keeping him uh, so, so happy and passionate. So once he started studying with Master Ku, it was just a matter of months before I kind of got swept along. You know, it was, it was easy for me. Charlie did all the hard work of proving himself to, to Master Ku, and, and I kind of got, you know, pulled in and um, felt very, it felt very special that we were allowed into his into Master Ku's life in this way that he we he was teaching out of his apartment so it was a very intimate setting and I was very um, much much aware of how special it was and took the practice seriously for that for that reason that we knew he was a special person. Well, you know this you know you started practicing 40 years ago and this was before the national institute of health had their entire area where they were looking at integrative practices and now the national institute of health is uh recommending uh tai chi practices for people you know as a way to maintain their health but through these 40 years of you practicing and 30 years of you teaching what have you seen of people who have come to the practice? Well, just to add to it, I, I also, beside the National Institute of Health, Harvard University Medical School is a very strong proponent of Tai Chi also. And they're publishing studies and writing a lot of really wonderful material on the practice. You know, we started really out of the, the kind of hippie era, pot smoking, this is cool, it's from China, it's, it'll teach you how to get high naturally. And it was very popular for a while, Tai Chi was a really hot name. And Master Gu said, oh, you have no idea how hot this can be. In China, there are, you know, 100 million people who do this, and soon it will be the same in America. But that never happened. Tai Chi is like a passing phase, phase. And maybe 10 years later, there wasn't a whole lot of Tai Chi left in New York City. There, there are the diehards, the people who keep doing it, but not much. And then I think in the early 90s is when the NIH published their study that Tai Chi is an excellent way to prevent falling for older people. And they said it may have other benefits beyond that, but that they could quantify and they knew for sure. And Harvard has now added in lots of other benefits that come from the practice in their studies. 
but that was good. It was positive. Um, the kind of practice that we do uh, is very detailed. Mastico, as I said, was a very charismatic and powerful man, and he gave us very detailed instructions, and it was almost impossible to follow them, and it was real, real lot of work. So we, in that spirit, we try to teach as rigorously as we can, as if our students are going to all become masters, <laughs> and so, you know, we, we don't do it in a completely light and easy, fun way. We do it with some focus and determination. Do you think oh. that, that the rigor that you're talking about, you know, in terms of the way that you teach, that has impact, do you think that's impacted the people who are still practicing or come to practice with you? Yes, I'd, I'd say that as we get older, we become more sensitive to the needs of the people our peers, the needs of people our age. And, and I see that we can offer different, you know, as, as we, in the deck, different decades, we can offer different things to people. And, and I, it's very clear to me from my practice that this idea of, be, of you know, not falling, you know, just for one, like what, it, what is required to have good balance. I've learned what it means from in my body and I can apply that and I can deliver that and teach that to the students who come to us. Um, it's, it's, very, it's fundamental. It's really fundamental to, to stay upright on your two feet <laughs> for, yeah, until your old age. I mean, how do, you, how do you live a long, healthy life? How do you make it difficult to grow old except you don't, you can stand upright and you can stand balanced and um, not fall. And that, that's so important because when you think about um, falling as people get older and especially breaking a hip, you know, leading to a spiral of potentially, you know, downward health or, or you know, dependency, that the fundamentals of just being able to keep your balance are so important. During the pandemic, which is still happening, what have you seen in terms of uh, people who come to the practice or uh, how the practice has impacted people's life during this period of time? Before answering that question, I'd like to digress and give you a little fuller answer to the previous question. Okay. Um, we have had a number of people who come to us lately who were, have been tripping and say, oh, I hear Tai Chi is good for tripping. And when you're 75 or 80 years old and you come, it's very difficult to do Tai Chi. And it's a pretty strenuous process for them to recover their balance and, and not fall anymore. It's a lot better if you start the Tai Chi practice earlier in life in anticipation of your old age, that to wait until you're falling too late. So I wanted to just share that about that. Now you talked about the um, COVID pandemic. Well, that forced us to not have our classes in person. And so we have moved to Zoom for two years. We've been teaching over Zoom. Zoom has some deficits compared to learning in person, but it also has some positives. 
so we've learned how to make the best of Zoom and how to take advantage of the fact that people don't have to commute to come to our center, that it's very convenient for them. And then learning how to understand what the flatness of a Zoom picture implies as opposed to what you see when you're in person with someone and to basically work through the challenges that people face because they don't see things as clearly over Zoom. And so we have to quiz them and really stop class in a lot of ways to make sure that they're understanding what we're saying in ways that we wouldn't have to do if we were in person. So it's been different. It's like everything, you know, you try to make the best of each situation. And we have now people all over the country studying Tai Chi. Well, before you could only study with us if you lived in New York City. So that's an enormous plus. We have people from Europe, South America coming. It's, it's, it's wild. So another important component of Zoom is that we can, could stay in touch with one another and we could, um, I, for me, you know, everyone being so isolated, it really created a, a stronger sense of community that helped me and helped others, because others have articulated this to us, help us get through the difficulty of, of the pandemic and, and feel like we have a connection in a very uh, meaningful way with other people. So that, that, I, that was unexpected, that, that I did not, I thought we'd just be teaching and, you know, but, but to be getting that back and feeling like my heart is filled from, from people being, you know, from watching other people and being appreciative of, of our teaching, you know, it, it was very, it continues to be a wonderful feeling. You're, you're absolutely right. I, you know, what I hear a lot during the pandemic is uh, isolation or even not even in addition to the pandemic as people get it, are getting older, feeling more isolated where they are and creating this sense of community being so important, you know, for right. practitioners. What kind of improvements have uh, people talked about in their health or have you experienced in your health as well? through the practice? Well, we have one 82-year-old man who started, we, um, we started doing outdoor classes in the park, you know, very seasonally. And he happened to be walking by and stopped and watched for a few Saturdays in a row. And then he finally approached us. And he was a man who was, you know, a typical American, guy who, and, and who was stiff and losing having he was aware that he was losing his balance and he was actually one of these our students who was doing a lot of falling and he really went after the, he understood the importance of this and he went after it and he's very serious about his practice and he since he started he has not fallen and he's I can see the shape of his legs and the and he's gotten much stronger I can see the shape of his legs has changed. The shape of his, the past, his posture has changed because his legs are stronger. His torso can be straighter. And he's just talking very differently too about his, ex, his experience of his body, which is really something that's pretty phenomenal. He, I think he's surprised himself 
<laughs> all, all these changes that, you know, this practice has brought to him in two years. And, and um, what do you, um, how do you see the society of Don Lao Shu? Uh, how do you envision it evolving now? <laughs> That's a tough one. You know, we were, we were given this society, it was Mastaku's idea that we form it. And we've run with it now for societies 30, 35 years old. 30, so annual yeah, meetings. So, so, you know, it's been great. It keeps us together, all the practitioners together as a community. It's a chance for us to share what we know with new students. It's been wonderful. Now, Elise and I are aging, and we wonder, like, where, where are things going to be in 20 years? Is there going to be a next generation that takes over or not? We would love that. But, uh, you know, people have to come and see value in what we're doing and, and want to take it up the way we did. It was very easy with when you have a man like Master Koo, you just felt like this is a once in a lifetime chance to learn something special. And, you know, I would be, I don't know that I, people view us that way, that we're. <laughs> we're not the only ones. You know, there are other teachers. We have we have a board of directors, and you know, we're not the only ones holding up the center. And it's um, everybody does what they can, right? They volunteer to the degree that they're capable, and hopefully, we'll find one or two younger young folks to, <laughs> who are interested in carrying on the their tradition and you know, taking it to another for another twenty years and. If not, then, you know, both, 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 both of us are committed to practicing as long as we can. Yeah. So whether that's another 20 or 30 more years, we'll, we'll do that. And our lives are, we offer them as an example of what happens if you do something like this for 60 or 70 years. And people can learn from that. Um, we'd love to have students that a little more foresight and decide to jump in and learn it now rather than wait till we're 90 but you know life is funny you just you got to roll with the punches master who was smart in that way he got a bunch of 25 and 30 year olds to study with him so he got he had young blood we haven't attracted that age group yet well in in terms of a, attracting that age group uh, sometimes I think it may be the advice that you give that draws people into the practice. So what type of advice would you give our listeners in terms of how to age in a healthy way? Hmm. Well, aging in a healthy way involves two things. First is to prevent new illnesses from coming. So you need to be active and vigorous and lead a healthful life. If you've ever noticed, it, when you're busy, you never get sick. It's only when you're done being busy and you stop moving that all of a sudden you're hit and you get a cold or something bad happens. So there's something about staying active that's very vital and useful. So you have to develop a lifestyle that you, keeps you challenging yourself and growing as a person. 
and that will ward off new illness from coming. But all human beings are born with the roots, the seeds of their ultimate demise already in them. And so each one of us have slight imperfections, slight, maybe we even have illnesses that have already developed to a certain point. And so you have to learn how to manage your condition. And so like myself, I found out I had arthritis. I've been spending a lot of time keeping that arthritis from altering the way I stand, keeping it from altering the way I move so that all my other organs are continuing to get the proper nourishment and use so that they're staying healthy. So you need to, one, have a level of humility in which you recognize that you do have problems and you do need to manage them. And then you need to have uh, some ambition that it's worth investing a little bit of your time right now when you're young so that when you're older, your life will be better. Like, you know, people who save in their IRAs for their old retirement, this is like a health IRA. So if you start young, your money will grow much greater than if you start when you're older. But and, but, and what about our listeners who are older? Is Would this be off the table for them? Or are there modifications that they can do? What, what would you say to them? Well, this 80-year-old so like, man did it. I mean, he, he, he turned his life. He said he was falling just about every day. And he said he hasn't fallen in two years. Uh, it takes a certain strength and willpower, yeah. I mean, it's not clearly if you're in a fairly advanced, infirmed condition, this may help a little bit, but it's not going to completely turn your life around. Um, we have plenty of older students who start at the age of 50 or 55 or 60 and get benefits. They can see that that they're, the exercises are addressing the weaknesses and they and they see progress you know themselves so that there's to my perspective there's always value in starting regardless of your age you're you're still retarding the aging process even if you start when you're 60 or 65 or older now that is good news <laughs> <laughs> i like to think so so if, if someone was interested in, um, in studying Tai Chi, Qigong, meditation, how would they contact you and how would they get in touch with the Society for Nan Lao Shu? Well, we have a website, okay. nanlaoshu.org, N-A-N-L-A-O-S-H-U.org. We have material there. We have a Master Ku's autobiography. We've got some suggested readings. You, they have, there's a way to contact us. So I'd say that's the first place to start. Yep. That very, is very easy to find. There are no other non-Lao shoes out there. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, you chose a very, a very unique uh, name was chosen that sure. definitely fits what you do. So I'm, I'm really glad to have you both uh, here today. And uh, I thank you for sharing about the Society for Non Lao Shu. And if any of our guests are interested, you've got the website, 
So thank you to Elise Greeby and Charlie Brenner for being on Health Cetera today. This is Eve Adler, Health Cetera correspondent. Thank you, Eve. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast of Health Cetera in the Catskills. For more podcasts and discussions of important health issues and policies affecting health, go to Health Cetera's website and blog at www.healthmediapolicy.com. That's www.healthmediapolicy.com. This podcast was produced by Diana Mason, Barbara Glickstein, and production assistant Kai Volsey.